0: If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 21. And if you've been involved in listening to some of the sermons that we've preached, we're hitting the highlights of David's life. And I think it's very clear there's a whole lot more to David's life than just fighting Goliath on the battlefield. But that's mostly what we think about. So today, I want to talk to you about not using the weapons of the enemy. Don't use the weapons of the enemy. And we're going to read in 1 Samuel 21, then I'm going to give you a little bit of a backup from where we are. It says in 1 Samuel 21 and verse 1, David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business. By the way, this is a, what we call just a bald-faced lie. <laughs> David is just lying through his teeth, as we say. Same guy who fought Goliath on the battlefield, now he's lying through his teeth. The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, and David answered the priest and said, Of a truth, women have been kept from us these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread. This was a very blatant violation of the Mosaic law. For there was no bread there but the bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man, and this is what we know in You know, English terms, literary terms is foreshadowing. There was a certain man of the servants of Saul there that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. He's still perpetuating a lie. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, Behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it me. We want to talk about don't use the weapons of the enemy. To give you a little bit of background here, if you, if you recall from last week, we, we left the almost humorous scene at the end of 1 Samuel 19 where Saul, the deposed king, God has deposed King Saul, and he's trying to kill David. And he sends three groups of troops to go and get David. David is with Samuel, the last judge of Israel. And all of those men that go wind up prophesying. They're going to arrest David, but the Lord's Spirit comes upon them, takes over them, and they begin to prophesy. That's funny. And of course, it gets even funnier. Saul himself comes, the dethroned king, comes. well, if they can't do it, I'll do it. And so the last thing we left there was the picture of Saul who was going to arrest David, and he's laying on the ground, completely unclothed, prophesying to the Lord all night long. That's embarrassing. On one hand, I hope you see... What God is doing with former King Saul. He is embarrassing him. I mean, every time you turn around, he didn't obey what the Lord said. Samuel rebuked him. He didn't repent. He tried to save face. He disobeys the Lord again. The Lord dethrones him, deposes him, sets up David as the new king. David is the new king, even though he's only about, you know, 20 years old. And yet Saul just won't let, let it go. He's ordered David's murder. And by the way, don't forget he's married to Saul's daughter-in-law some of you may be sitting there saying, that's the one thing you can identify with Saul. You know, I just, I get it that he wanted to kill his son-in-law. I don't feel that way. I do not want to kill my son-in-law. I cannot identify with that. I I love my son-in-law. I keep telling him he's my favorite son-in-law. Y'all get that one in a minute. But Saul is trying to kill David because he will not submit to the will of God. And God's just embarrassing Saul. And so the scene was, Saul is laid out, prophesying to the Lord, unclothed. Looks ridiculous. And then it says, David fled from that place. That's, that's very strange because, you know, David fled when Saul sent the men to take him in his house and Michal, his wife, David's wife, you know, put an idol underneath the cover so it would look like David was there and she said he's sick. But David had fled. OK, so he comes to Samuel, which was a very good thing. If, if there was any place that would be safe in the nation at that point, it would be with the prophet Samuel who you know, is the author of 1 and 2 Samuel, or at least part of 1 Samuel. Maybe even the author of the book of Ruth. But David flees and goes there. That was a good thing. And yet after he sees the Lord deliver him, Saul's on the way to arrest him. You know, wringing your hands. What am I going to do? Saul's prophesying, laying on the ground all night, unclothed. That ought to re, you know register in your mind for David and say, the Lord's going to take care of me. I can just stay put. But we see David slipping. We see his faith waxing and waning, mostly waning right here, because he, he, he goes on the run. And, and you say, well, that was just a shame. Somebody that saw Goliath killed or that, that killed Goliath and all of that. Look, we're just like David. We wax and wane in our courage and in our faith and, and the things that we trust in and the things that we may trust really well one week and the next week we don't trust at all that's just how we are and that's what david is going through and by the way david is in a very intense situation because the so-called king is trying to kill him his own countrymen of whom he has delivered the entire country at least twice now and if you want to kind of get an idea about what is going through david's mind you can look with me to psalm the 31st chapter by the way in studying the life of david which i've studied it off and on for years but in in studying on this series that i'm preaching to you it, it has really come home to me just how many of the psalms david wrote out of the distresses that he experienced and you know life is stressful is it not we go through distresses we go through trouble we go through anguish we go through trials and a large number of the psalms Are David expressing that? We ought to be comfortable in expressing that to the Lord. You know, we don't want to just stuff our feelings and not express those feelings to the Lord. Look at what David expresses in Psalm 31. This is David on the run. And let's look at verse 9. It's a long psalm, but we're just going to pull out a few of the verses that relate to him being chased, being on the run. And I believe that what he's going through and when he flees from Samuel and he goes on the run, You know, he goes from being the in-law of the king, now he's an outlaw, he's on the run, the king has death warrants out for him, and I believe this is something that is born out of that. Look at Psalm 31 and 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. That's very practical, is it not? You say, well, I don't really know where to start to pray when I'm dealing with difficult situations. That's a good starting point right there. Have mercy upon me, Lord, because I'm in trouble. I got trials. I got troubles. Don't tell me that this is some deep, dark theological meaning here that nobody can grasp. Because we've all faced trouble. We've all dealt with issues. And David just looks up to the Lord and says, have mercy upon me, Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eyes consume with grief. Everywhere he looks, he, he says, oh, grief, grief. It just, everything he looks at reminds him of something that, that hurts his heart. He's, his, he's in knots over this. He says, yea, my soul and my belly. You know, he's he's sick in his stomach because he has got such trouble going on in his life. For my life is spent with grief. And if he was 20 or 22 or 23, you know, there's a little bit of humor in that. You know, he's only, you know, he's probably only lived 22, 23 years. And he's already saying my life is spent with grief, you know, which is not necessarily true. But when you're going through trouble, it feels like that's all you've ever experienced. It's never going to end. It's just consuming me. My life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. Every time he turns around, David's going, Oh, goodness. I've told y'all this before, but I have a particular sigh that my sweet companion recognizes. I might be walking around the house and just... And she says, What's wrong? You know, What's going on? Or, What's the trouble? And sometimes I'll be like, Look, I'm just tired. And that's the truth. So I'm just tired. And then other times... You know, that big sigh may prompt a conversation. You know, th- this has just really gotten all over me. This is bothering me. Something's really bothering me. David's just going around sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. Have you ever been in such trouble that you just got weak need, Or your hands just felt weak? If you haven't felt that, then you've, you probably have never been in trouble. Had troubles affect you. He says, I was a reproach among all mine enemies which that would be Saul and Saul's men at this point, except for Jonathan, of course, but especially among my neighbors. He couldn't even get any help from his neighbors. The people that knew him and loved him and trusted him and had grown up around them, they wouldn't even help him. And I'm a fear to mine acquaintance, the, the very family that he had that was supposed to be his solitary connectivity with his family, you know, to be one with his family. He can't even get any relief from his family. They that did see me without fled from me. They'd see David coming and they'd just go the other way. You ever maybe been walking in the aisles at Walmart and you, you know, this could work both ways. You know, you see somebody, you're like, oh my goodness, and go to the next aisle. <laughs> I've never done that. Never. I'm just kidding. I have done that many times, especially when I saw somebody walking down the aisle that I had prosecuted. I was like, <laughs> I would think, it's not that I don't want to see them, you know, but the last time I saw them, maybe they had chains, shackles on, you know, and I figure they probably don't want to see me because it's probably going to bring up bad thoughts in their mind. But think about that. Maybe you've had trouble with someone and you see them, you're like, I'm I'm just going to, I just don't want to get into this right now. I'm going to avoid them. That's what they were doing to David, just avoiding him. They'd see him coming and he'd think, they would think that he didn't see them and they just kind of duck under the, the, Shrubbery or under the trees or something. He says, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. Do y'all see the level of depression that David is at? I'm forgotten as a dead man. How many of you raise your hand if you remember my great great grandfather, Francis Marion McCool? Don't raise your hand, Mom, because number one, you didn't see him. But if there's anybody here besides Mom and myself, and maybe my kids, Raise your hand if you remember my great-grandfather, Francis Marion McCool from the 1800s. I can tell you a little bit about him, but he is a dead man that is forgotten, basically forgotten out of mind. Nobody in this room, including myself or my mom, had ever met him. We just heard things about him you know, that were passed down. That's, how, that's the mindset of David. He said, I don't have any influence on anybody I don't have any future myself. I'm just like a dead man who has passed off the scene 150 years before. I hope none of you have ever gotten in that kind of a mindset, but that's a very low state. And he's on the run. I am like a broken vessel. He said, I can't even carry any water. You know, I I can't even carry any spiritual water because I'm a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. There's people talking about David. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. Now, he's speaking directly about King Saul and his men trying to kill him. The same men, by the way, that saw David defeat Goliath by the help of God on the battlefield. Now, watch this. But I trusted in Thee, O Lord. I said... Thou art my God. Can y'all picture that? David's on the run. People are avoiding him, ducking out of the way, staying away from him, getting off of his path. He's looking for help. He's looking. He can't find any. He goes to the neighbor's house. Nobody will answer. Nobody will come to the door. He can't go to these other houses because they are in league with King Saul. So you know what David does? He just, he just I can just picture him closing his eyes as he went on. He says, Thou art my God. It's like the only friend that he's got left in the world is God. Well, you know, you're not doing too bad with God as your friend. Now, this is what we want to get right here. Look at what David says in verse 15. And, and think about the resolve of David. Now, look, I'm not saying that David gets everything right. Going and eating the hallowed bread, going and taking the sword of the enemy, Goliath. Those are wrong things to do. But notice how his mindset, he keeps coming back to this. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me because I'm a pretty good guy. Is that what it says? Save me for thy mercy's sake. David said, I I don't even deserve to be saved. I don't even deserve to be delivered. But for thy mercy's sake, for the purpose of thy mercy, which is being given something that you don't deserve, for the purpose of your mercy deliver me from all of this that's going on around me. So this is a Psalm that is born out of the anguish and trouble that David was in. I encourage you. I'm not going to say if you struggle, but when you struggle, because in the world you shall have tribulations. Our Lord said, when you have trouble, not if you have trouble, come to the Psalms, come to King David, Look at what was born out of his grief and out of his anguish. These are inspired words. You understand? The Holy Spirit inspired David to write the anguish of his soul when he was on the run from those that were trying to kill him. I pray to God that you'll never have to be on the run from someone that's trying to kill you. But there can be other ways of death. You know, there can be the slaughter of slander. There can be the slaughter of ill will. There can be all kinds of things that we run from. Come to the Psalms. There's not a single emotion that you can experience in this life that is not contained within the Psalms. You say, where are they, Brother Tim? Dig for them. Search for them like gold. They're there. And when you find those nuggets, guess what? They're going to speak to you. You know, this speaks to me in my times of trouble. If David went through this and David could survive and not just survive, but even thrive. If he went through these things, then so can I. Because there's a goal in sight and the goal is not just well everything's going to be at peace because i don't know that we'll ever have true peace this side of the lord's return you're always going to have some level of turmoil some level of issue let's just pray that the lord would keep the drama down that the lord would bless us to live in such a way and but even when we seek to keep the drama down you know what is david doing wrong he's delivered the nation he's killed goliath he's delivered the nation from the philistines again He's married the king's daughter. His best friend is Jonathan, the son of the king. What's he doing wrong? He's not doing anything wrong. Now, eating the hallowed bread and taking the sword of Goliath, yes, and fleeing. But in general, in his life, you know, he's not made steps to have him arrested. You understand? The lesson we get out of that is sometimes just, things just don't go right. Sometimes things just go wrong, even when you're doing the right things. And as a child of grace, very often when you do the right thing, You're going to suffer for it. You're going to have trouble because you do. But don't ever forget what David said. Lord, for thy mercy's sake, deliver me. Help me to make it through this trial. So what we have here in David coming to Ahimelech, the priest, what we have is David on the run. He's running from Saul. The picture of Saul prophesying, unclothed, all night long, the Lord making him prophesy. Remember, King Saul is a child of God just as sure as David is. The word, the word of God says that. And so David runs. He should have stayed. He should have stayed with Samuel. That was a safe place to be. And when we run from the safe places, it's always going to bring more trouble. And that's what happens right here. David runs from a place where God has just delivered him in a magnificent way. You remember, the Lord doesn't deliver the same way at all times, in all situations. He's not a tame line. He can do whatever he pleases. However he pleases, he won't violate his nature and he won't use sin. But he can show up and show out in so many different ways. And this is an amazing way that he showed up and he showed out. And David flees from it. That's our natural tendency. You know, to run from the things that are good for us, to run from the things that are safe. David goes to Samuel. The premier prophet at that time. One of the premier prophets of the Old Testament. And he flees. Now it's interesting. That's chapter 20 where David flees from Samuel. And he doesn't go off into the wilderness yet. But he actually goes back into the area where Saul lives. And in chapter 20, if you want to read, you have to read back now. I should have told you to read ahead. But in chapter 20, you have the account where Jonathan meets with him and reaffirms his Allegiance to David, and it's very interesting in 1 Samuel 20, you kind of get an idea that Jonathan knows some really bad things are coming for his family because of the way his dad is acting. Jonathan makes a second covenant with David in chapter 20, and the second covenant is looking to the future because Jonathan says, While I'm alive, I want you to promise me that you'll do good to my family, and after I'm dead, I want you to promise me that you'll do good to my family. They make that covenant. Jonathan understands clearly David's going to be the king. Jonathan understands clearly that his father is no longer the king, that David is the king now and he's going to sit on the throne eventually. And Jonathan is basically saying, I acknowledge that. This is the son of the deposed king. This is an amazing brotherly love relationship just about like no other. It says again that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And they made that covenant. I want you to remember that. Remember the covenant that David and Jonathan make about David taking care of Jonathan's family. Because that's going to come back in days ahead. When David was 20, 21, 22, and Jonathan's probably 35, 32, something like that. He was probably about 10 years older than David. They make a covenant And David agrees, I will take care of your family down the road if you're dead. That's more foreshadowing, by the way. Don't forget that. And then when it's very clear that that King Saul is still trying to kill David, you know, Saul, this is just amazing. It's just astonishing. Amazing is not the right word, but it's astonishing. Saul tries to kill Jonathan in chapter 20, he tries to kill his own son. Because his son is intervening and making intercession for David who has done nothing wrong. Saul takes a javelin, like you remember he's already taken to David to try to kill David. Saul takes a javelin and he's so mad at his own son, he's so irrational, he's so out of control of himself that he casts a javelin at Jonathan and Jonathan has to jump back and miss being killed by his own father. I know that just kind of blows our minds, doesn't it? But that's how bad... Of shape that Saul was in. and Why? Remember, you say, well, he just kind of lost his mind. No, it all started with him not submitting to the will of God. And he's just running into a brick wall over and over again. You know, I'm supposed to be king. My son's supposed to be king. And that's what he says before he tries to kill Jonathan. He said, don't you know that you're supposed to be king one day? And that is contrary to what God has said. Jonathan is not supposed to be king one day. David is already the king. And Saul tries to kill his own son. Jonathan reports that to David. There's no way that I could preach or convey that meeting that they have there where they are in tears with one another as friends over the situation, over the fact that they can't spend any more time together because if David spends time with Jonathan, Saul's going to try to kill Jonathan and kill David. So they have to part ways. What, what What a sad commentary on a troublesome situation. They had to part ways because... of of how irrational King Saul had gotten and they cry and they weep and David goes out into the wilderness and and it sounds like he's, he's got a few men with him that are kind of sticking with him but when he comes to Ahimelech this is what has happened he's on the run can you picture David saying as he's going along Lord God help me I'm in trouble I'm in trouble but remember child of God going on the run when you're in trouble is never the answer running away from the man of God, running away from the prophet of God like David did, it's never the answer. So David, as I said, goes and he tells these big fat lies. I mean, he's telling lie after lie. You know, the the priest says, what are you doing here? Because he's nervous. He knows there's some trouble, political trouble in the nation. And the the priest says, what are you doing here? And David says, I'm on a mission from the king, (laughs) which was a total lie. And not only that, he says, we're hungry. You see, David didn't even prepare himself when he went on the run. He didn't even prepare with food and water. He says, we're hungry. We're about to starve to death. And so David lies first, and then he lusts. You know, Job said, I esteem the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. Job said that it's more important for me to honor God's word than it is to even eat. (laughs) I tell you, that that is a concept, I believe, a teaching that is so foreign to our modern day society as so far you know i just gotta i've got to fill my need i've got to get the relief i need you know amazon delivery in two days i mean it's got to get here i got to have relief that's that's the way our minds have been conditioned in this get anything you want get any relief you need immediately that's this and i like immediate relief that's great but sometimes you just can't get it and so david you know he says i've got to eat and this priest says all we've got here is the hallowed bread." Now, Maybe you go back and listen to the God of the Festival series that we preached a year or so ago. And it talks about that hallowed bread. That, that was God's bread. It was the bread that the priests set from week to week in the temple. In, in this case, the tabernacle. The temple hadn't been built yet. But they put it in the tabernacle. It's God's bread. It's the show bread. It's bread to show to God. And it's also bread that shows God. And you don't touch that bread until the seven days passes and they bring a new 12 loaves of bread in there, and they take the old bread, and guess what? The priests are allowed under the law to eat it. Anybody else is not allowed to eat it. David eats the showbread. And this is interesting. This was such an important event to note that a thousand years later, in three of the Gospels, you have the account of Jesus referring to David eating the showbread. And it's very mysterious, one of those mysteries, because we know David violated the law, and yet, Those disciples were walking through the corn in the days of Jesus on the Sabbath day, and they picked the ears of corn and began to eat the ears of corn as they went. This is in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so when the Pharisees, the legalists, they saw those men walking along and just eating, they're saying, your disciples are violating the law. They're walking along, picking the ears of corn, shucking the ears as they walk, and eating as they go to the next town to preach. And Jesus looks at them and he says, have you not read what David did? when he was on the run and he came to the priest and he ate the showbread? Jesus knew how to throw it back on him, didn't he? Have you not read? I mean, these guys were the premier readers of the day, Torah readers, the Mosaic Law readers of the day. He said, have you not read? Have you not come across that little gem in the Old Testament where King David, a man that was described by God as being after God's own heart, violated the law? And then he goes on, he says something very interesting in one of the Gospels. He says, if you had learned what it means when I say I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Do you hear that? So if you take what he says there about the disciples, number one, he says that the disciples are guiltless in plucking the ears of corn and eating the ears of corn. And if you take that in application to what he said about David, he says David was guiltless whenever he ate the showbread he's in the mind of the legalist it just boggles the legalist mind like that doesn't make sense you know it's got to be black and white it's got to be right or wrong it's got to be righteousness or unrighteousness you know it's got to be holy or profane how in the world can something that is clearly profane the lord says he's guiltless here's how it's by the mercy of god You see, it's God's mercy as the Lord looked upon David in his guilt and he ate the showbread which was illegal for him to do as David came there on the run as David was using the weapons of the enemy. What are the weapons of the enemy? Satan is the father of lies and David is lying using the weapon of the enemy. Uh, What is the weapon of the enemy? Deceit is the weapon of the enemy. To unravel that which is good. And David is using all of those weapons in addition to the sword of Goliath that he's about to get, which was the enemy's weapon. The sword of Goliath did Goliath no good on the day that David killed him. Remember? David hit him in the head with a stone that the Lord blessed him to send it straight to the forehead of the giant. And then David takes the sword of Goliath and he cuts off his head with his own sword. The sword of Goliath did Goliath no good. And the sword of Goliath is not going to do David any good because it's the weapon of the enemy, you see. And yet the Lord says he was guiltless. Here's how. Even in the midst of all of his troubles that he was bringing and all of being on the run and lying and deceit and all of that, the Lord looked down upon David and David's about to die from starvation. And the Lord, he'd rather have him eat the holy bread than to die of starvation. I will have mercy... And not sacrificed. You catch that? So the Lord looked upon him and and declared him guiltless. I declare him guiltless. How? Because when he ate the bread, he saw that the guiltiness of David was going to be paid for on the cross in about a thousand years. He saw the profanity of David on the shoulders of his own dear son, child of God. When you take up the weapons of the enemy like David did, it just leads to trouble after trouble after trouble. More trouble heaped upon trouble. But don't ever forget, you say, well, I've heaped up too much trouble. I've used the weapons of the enemy too long. Don't ever forget that the Lord in his righteousness through the sacrifice of his son, he sees you as guiltless because he's paid for your sins. That doesn't mean, okay, well, I'll just go eat all of the holy bread that I can find. It doesn't mean, well, I'll just go out and I'll fill up on sin, do whatever I want to do. God forbid that. Paul said that. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Look at what the Lord has done for you. Look at what the Lord did for David. The Lord was God of the Sabbath as He walked along with His disciples that day and they ate the ears of corn. And the God of the Sabbath, the super Sabbath, is walking with Him. He is our Sabbath, you see? And they're walking with Him, walking in the shadow of His wings and of His grace and His mercy. And they eat the corn there, see? They were guiltless because He fed them. David was guiltless. Because the mercy of God extended to David. But there's still more trouble coming. (laughs) It hadn't even started yet, you might say. If you remember the little bit of foreshadowing there, it says there was a man standing by. And his name was Doeg. And he was a liar and a slanderer and a profane and a wicked man. And he saw what transpired there with David. David. He saw David eat the showbread. He saw the the conversation between Ahimelech and David. And he saw David take the sword of Goliath. And he's going to r- cause a lot of trouble by running his mouth. He's going to cause a lot of trouble by his own hand. And if David hadn't been on the run like this, if David hadn't been running in his guiltiness, the Lord has made him righteous, don't forget. But he's still got consequences to pay because of his... Doing what he's doing. And child of grace, when you take the weapons of the enemy, the lies, the deceit, the backbiting, the slandering, all of those things, the sword of Goliath. When you try to make that which is profane into something that is holy and justify yourself, every time you take the weapon of the enemy, it's going to cause more destruction and more trouble. So may God bless us to learn. Don't take the weapon of the enemy. Take up that which is good and holy. What's the opposite of lies? Truth. Truth. What's the opposite of ugliness or or, or meanness? Kindness. Take up the weapons of God and they will always win. It may not be immediate relief, but it will be relief.